debate about that there. All right, so very good. Without further ado, let's dive into our lesson today, and we're going to go the full 45 minutes, right? Um, all right, so let's pick up that review sheet, and um, we are going to review questions 11 and 12, once again, as we consider question 13 this morning. How doth it appear that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father? The Scriptures manifest that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father, ascribing unto them such names, attributes, works, and worship as are proper to God only. What are the decrees of God? God's decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts of the counsel of His will, whereby from all eternity He hath for His own glory unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. Amen. So that's really then where the divines go next, uh, in particular on that last clause. If you remember back from our last lesson, um, we talked about, one of the things we talked about was what is foreordination and what is predestination and what are the differences between the two, right? And so what we see here, even in this last clause here in question 12, that leads us nicely into 13, is that is the matter of predestination in regards to what God has decreed in eternity past, especially in regards to men and angels, okay? And so we're going to do some study this morning. It's not going to be a full deep dive into angelogy um, and, uh, and God's uh, purpose and election of men as well. But uh, as I mentioned last time too, sometimes the, the doctrine of angels um, is we, we don't necessarily spend as much time on that or, or think of it even. And so it's good um, to do so here as this occasion uh, has required. So let's take our, our main handout here and let's look at question 13. What hath God especially decreed concerning angels and men? God, by an eternal and immutable decree, out of his mere love for the praise of his glorious grace to be manifested in due time, hath elected some angels to glory and in Christ hath chosen some men to eternal life and the means thereof, and also according to his sovereign power and the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth favor as he pleaseth, hath passed by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath, to be for their sin inflicted, to the praise of the glory of his justice. Amen. So what do we see here is the focus that the divines take. The divines are now specifically looking at predestination and election. Now, again, we talked a bit about predestination last time. And so we're going to focus more on election and the words that are being spoken on here, but we are going to look at, at still at both um, and uh, in due fashion because both are, are present here. 
Uh, again, just a brief plug. If you haven't read or don't have the book by Lorraine Bettner called uh, The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, I would highly encourage you. It's a great read. Um, B-O-E-T-T-N-E-R is, his, is the spelling of his last name. Lorraine Bettner. Um, excellent book that spells these uh, truths out clearly. And so we see the doctrine of predestination and election and see how the divines here provide wonderful descriptions from Scripture regarding when, how, why, and for what purpose God elected and predestinated men and angels. So what did they say about the how and the when? By an eternal an unchangeable decree, right? And as we uh, consider, again, the nature of God, right, the immutability of God, even as we consider the continuity here between question 12 and the answer there, and now question 13, right? In question 12, he unchangeably foreordained whatever comes to pass in time. Here we see that his decree is eternal and immutable regarding predestination and election. So in other words, how, how does this play out in a practical way? In other words, he, doesn't, he didn't just from all eternity decree some men and angels to be elect and some not, and then later change that up, right? And then it's possible... If we were to take some type of Pelagian view, it's possible that they could fall out of that state or be removed from that state later on, even by God himself, out of that state of being chosen. No, it's eternal and immutable, and that's important. His decree matches his character. His decree matches his nature, right? The immutable God made immutable decrees here, right? And so that's, that's wonderful. And from what? From what did he make this decree? And this is a beautiful piece too. Out of his mere love. The love of God fueled God's decree. We see the love of God fueled, right, our redemption. But even in his choosing of us, Right, his decree was it was uh, fueled and came out of mere love. And why? What was the purpose of the decree? For the praise of his grace. Right, for the praise of his grace. Um. So sometimes we may not think about that regarding election. When we think of election, we think of it just maybe as an, an act of sovereign choice. Yes. But um, do we think about it being out of his love, but also do we think of, of it being to the praise of his grace? Right. Romans chapter 9 is an excellent chapter, and we're going to consider that more in a moment, but Romans chapter 9 is an excellent chapter that summarizes this for us and helps us to see that picture much more clearly. And 
it was to be evident when. Okay, so this was an eternal and immutable decree made in eternity past. But it was to be manifest and evident in due time. Right, so again, we talked about God and um, his creation uh, in previous questions, but here is the eternal God who is outside of time. He is the creator of time. He is the creator of everything that he has created to exist in time and to be in time. We live and we move and we have our being because of him. Um, and so here he manifested it and, and was pleased to manifest his sovereign choice, his choosing of his people and passing over others in due time. So he hath elected some angels to glory. Now, it's also important to realize this, that to better understand the manifestation, that manifestation of his eternal decree in due time, why do we see that to be true? Because it's in time as both we, men, and angels, all of us are what? We're created beings, right? We're created beings. And so in God's work of creation in the beginning... We, we see in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the creation of man, wonderfully, along with everything else in his creation. He also created angels in that time, right? And so in due time then, as time would manifest itself, we see uh, Scripture teach us, and, and due to time this morning, maybe we can spend a little bit more time on that next week, on this aspect next week, but... Um, the fall, right, of Satan and the fall of his minions, of the fallen angels that fell with him, right? That was manifest within the bound of time. Now, it wasn't something that we saw with our eyes, but that the scriptures revealed to us that occurred, right? <clears throat> and so we also see then um, the Spirit's work in time, right? We see Christ's work of redemption in time. Um, and we see the Spirit's work and the fruit thereof that shows forth the people of God, right? And also um, those that even, uh, again, Paul's words in Romans are a great place to begin in that discussion, but... We see evidence, for example, of Pharaoh and why God chose Pharaoh. Um, and we see the vessels, we see more clearly those vessels of honor and dishonor. And so as we consider what the divines say here in, ver in question 13 about what the decree was, what do we see? It has two parts, really. One, God elected some angels to glory. How do we know that's true? Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 21. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 21. As Paul is exhorting Timothy and teaching Timothy about how he could how he should consider and honor elders 
in the church, beginning in verse 17. He says in verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing without uh, with partiality. So, let alone the interesting piece about why Paul would include um, elect angels um, as beings that he would make such a charge to Timothy before. Um, we see here indeed that God has created and he has decreed uh, some angels to glory. All right. But the divines also wisely teach us that in Christ hath, he has chosen some men to eternal life. Now there is a very important, there are very, two very important words there, right? In Christ. In Christ, he has chosen some men to eternal life. And even consider that in the context of this decree being eternal. So he chose us in Christ to eternal life. And notice the means thereof. Let's look at Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. Can somebody grab that? And then somebody else grab Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Okay. Go for it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesians, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose His infant before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself, the sons through, Christ, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, in which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Praise the Lord. Indeed, that's a wonderful passage, isn't it? really encapsulates well this truth, especially what we read there in verses 3 and 4. Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he begins here with those two words, in Christ. We see that repeatedly. In Christ, in Him, in Him, in Christ. Right, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Again, eternal decree. Eternal decree. This is where the, the Westminster Divines are taking this. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. Etc., etc., etc. So and then He lays out the glorious picture of redemption, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we read there. You may have this passage memorized, right? If you don't, memorize it. <laughs> For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
and we should walk in them. Again, we are in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Someone grab Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Go for it. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. For this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very good. So notice there that we are to give thanks to God, or they give, thank, they give thanks to God always for the people. They were beloved by the Lord because what? God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Let this, this, let this doctrine, let these passages be of great comfort to you. Um... To know that as you were in Christ, He chose you from before the foundation of the world in Him. That is a wonderful, wonderful comfort. Right? By an eternal and immutable decree. Right? It's never going to change. So, so secondly, then, what are the means, or not secondly, rather, this isn't the second of the two parts yet, but what are the means thereof that the divines reference there? Notice that they say that, um, and in Christ has chosen some men to eternal life and the means thereof. What does that mean? Right. Saving grace. Right. He's really talking succinctly about Christ and his work for us in the gospel. Right. That is the means by where we are saved. Right. That is the means by which we attain eternal life. By faith in Christ. But secondly, then we see that the second part of the decree is that God also passed by and foreordained the rest to wrath and dishonor. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. And here, I would say, is where we kind of see this connection. You know, I mentioned towards the beginning... That um, And let's look at uh, beginning in verse 19. Um, I said towards the beginning that we have the doctrine of predestination and election, right? And then we see a connection here, right? And, and we see this even more explicitly portrayed to us. Um, in his passing by and foreordaining um, others to wrath and dishonor. We call this, theologically, we call this double predestination. 
right? We call it double predestination. Election is God's electing us and choosing us. If you look at the Greek, it actually gives us a lot of help. Ek electos, right? It's we're chosen out of, right? We're chosen out of. And so we don't really call it double election, right? We call it double predestination because this is what God has foreordained, especially as we consider the choosing of his people and the passing by and the foreordaining of others. Right? To wrath and dishonor. Alright. So how did he do this? Let's look at verse beginning in verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. What if God, wanting to show his, what's that? His wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering, with much patience, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Right? So we see this picture here in the vessels of honor and the vessels of dishonor, the vessels uh, who are the, reci the recipients of mercy and the vessels who are the recipients of wrath. Right. And we see uh, the actions that he has taken and why, uh, again, we, we see the, the answer to these questions as to how he did this, right? And the divines speak to that, right? According to his sovereign power, Verse 22, right, of Romans 9. According to his sovereign power, he has all power. He has all rule and dominion over all his creation. He has the right, as the potter, to do what he wills with the clay. And, but notice how it is coupled with and the unsearchable counsel of his own will. Again, only the Spirit of God, Scripture teaches us, knows the things of God. Right? Only the Spirit of God can search the deep things of God. And so his, his counsel is unsearchable, but it is pure, it is true, it is just, it is righteous, it is holy. And we see that very clearly in the picture of his sovereignty. And so he has sovereign power. And so what, what do we see in the difference in these two actions that the divines show us? In, in God's action in the predestination of those who are elect and those who are non-elect. We see sovereign choice, right? And we see a passing by of coordination 
of the rest. <clears throat> All right, so I know that my theology, my ref bros um, and theology nerds are going to love the tail end of this uh, handout. Infralapsarianism and supralapsarianism. Pastor, what do you <laughs> raise the roof? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what are you doing, Pastor? Throwing out these huge words out here that are the source of much debate to theolo- theology nerds, right? But I want you to be I want you to be aware. I want you to be oriented to these types of terms. I want you to be knowledgeable of what they mean. Um, and, and what they're, uh, what's going on behind them. Even though they're big words, kind of like, you know, supercalifragilistic expialidocious, it's not, they're not unknown terms, and they, it's helpful to understand and have discussion, right? Um, so, infralapsarianism means after the fall, right? So, lapse comes from lapsus. Right, that's the fall. Infralapsarianism means after the fall. So this position has God's mercy in mind. Okay, this position would say it was after God thought of creating the universe and ordaining the fall that He purposed to show His mercy by electing some to salvation. Superlapsarianism. <laughs> Me, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, supralapsarianism means before the fall. Again, lapsus, fall, supra, before. Okay, means before the fall. This position has God's sovereignty in mind. Okay, before thinking of creating the universe and ordaining the fall, God had first thought to ordain some for life and some for death. The reason he then thought to create the world and ordain the fall was so that the wisdom and glory of his decision to elect some and not others would be displayed. Okay. Now, this debate over infra and supra has been going on for decades, right? And is the source of some friendly debate, maybe not so friendly in some other cases, but... This is not these are this is not a matter that would be any issue of fellowship or otherwise. It is a good it is a good study to do. I will say that historically, the vast majority of Reformed theologians have held the infralapsarianism position. Okay, so an infralapsarianism position. But again, so this is what those terms mean, and again, it's it's important to bring this up as we consider predestination and election um, and it's speaking to um, you know trying to, to study and understand okay so when did God make this decision yes the decree was in eternity past but and as with all things we need to go where scripture goes and stop where scripture stops um, study the things of God and what he has revealed to us with all of our hearts leaving the mystery to him thanking him for it and um, and praising him for it. So, all right. Well, for the sake of time here, um, I will go ahead and stop. Um, does anybody have any questions? Yeah.
Amen. Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord, brother. Yeah. All right, so we're going to continue into question 14 next time. Uh, maybe get into question 15, we'll see. Um, the divines in the larger catechism do not spend that much time, not nearly as much as they did with word, attributes of God, um, Trinity, those types of things in the beginning questions. Um, they don't spend nearly that amount of time with, um, with election or predestination and angels and men. But um, we will continue this as we consider more of his decrees. And uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Yeah. Yeah, so when we when we refer to the Westminster divines, we're referring to the men, the scholars um, that came to the Westminster Assembly uh, to put together to study and to craft uh, the standards that we have, the, the confession and the shorter and larger catechisms. Okay? They were commissioned to do so. Um, this was in the 1600s, right? Um, the 16, in 1647, that was the original submission. Um, it was ratified in 48, but we still typically refer to them as the 1647s. But at any rate, so, yeah, this group of men, we could list off some names that probably won't mean much to you, but if you want to know who, who some of them are, uh, some of them, you know, wrote some wonderful pieces of theology and uh, as well as pastors and scholars. And so, um, yeah, but they came together. These are just men who are scholars, ministers who came to, um, to study the matter and to put together these uh, confessions in order to give us a summary of what we believe and a confession of our faith, uh, defending the faith and proclaiming the faith. So. We call them Westminster Divines because they have a master of theology. Yes. So people who have a master of theology, master of divinity, they're called divines. It's not because we think Right. No. Uh, yeah. But that's what we So they have, like a doctor is a master of medicine, Right. Yep. Yeah, very good. All right, let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, how wonderful you are and how much you have revealed regarding yourself and wonderfully hear, Lord, your decrees to us in the scriptures. Oh, Lord, may we never tire of studying these things and learning these things and and praising you for these things. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sovereign choice of your people and all that you have decreed and foreordained to come to pass. You are the true and living God, and you receive all the glory. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we gather with more of our brothers and sisters this morning to worship your holy name and to lift your name on high. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.